Hey, how's it going? I'm Nick, the host of the Echo Academy podcast, a podcast where we tap into the world's collective wisdom and experience to learn how we can be more resilient. On this episode, I speak with Lara Key. Lara is the founder of Lara Q Associates, a boutique executive coaching and business consultancy based in Singapore. She also hosts the Coach Potatoes podcast, which is hands down the best name for a podcast I've ever heard yet. Lara shares with us her experience with cancer, what she gained from it, and how it created an opportunity to pursue coaching. What I got from Lara through our conversation is that you can have a plan, but you can't always predict the obstacles. And that experience provides growth opportunities, regardless of whether you acknowledge it in the present or reflect on it in hindsight. So, without further ado, here's my conversation with Lara Key. Today, I want to also focus on you and and also your journey through cancer as well. So, I'm 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 curious how how did you find out that you you had cancer, and also how does one go about finding out that they have cancer? Because I, I mean, it's it. I know many uh, many people in, in in my family as well who had cancer, and you know it was it was something they realized really late on because it's not something that's instantly knowable, so to speak. So I'm curious about how you found out. Yeah, well, I mean, there are so many obviously different types of cancer, um, and you know when you invited me um, on your show to to talk about it, it's you know it's it's actually surprisingly not really a big part of my life, um, but uh, I really want to share my story because it's very important to me that uh, you know women in particular take heed of of my story and think about you know checking themselves regularly. Um, so um, I actually. Actually, uh, had breast cancer, and I have no history of it at all in my family. So, you know, uh, my mother is very, very healthy. My grandmother had a, you know, died of a natural death. She'd never had cancer either. So, you know, my side of the family, nothing. Um, and certainly my father's side, you know, one had cancer there either. So, you know, this wasn't something I was very alert to. But what happened was um, end of last year, so October last year. I had decided to get myself fit. So I got a personal trainer and he was, he's, I'm still with him. He's fantastic. Hello, Ari, (laughs) calling out for you. So uh, my personal trainer uh, would come to my house because I'm so lazy that (laughs) I thought, right, if I get this guy to come to my house and actually do it at my house, I don't have to worry about going to the gym or anything. I started doing these exercises, which involved lifting a very heavy so-called medicine ball up and over over my head, you know, in a sort of upward over gesture, lifting both arms straight. This caused my pectoral muscles to sort of be strained and, you know, ache. And I was obviously having uh, after effects of exercise and feeling like, oh, you know, I'm pretty achy and oh. Anyway, I think I had been doing those exercises maybe only two or three weeks. And then I was having a shower 
And it was the weekend, and I won't forget it because it was that Deeper Valley weekend where we had the Monday off. So the Deeper Valley had moved to the Monday, the 28th of October. And um, I was in the shower, just, you know, washing as usual when I felt a literally an enormous solid lump at the very top of my left breast. And I thought, huh, what is that? I felt it again, and it literally was like a golf ball. It was huge. And I, and I thought, well, this is really weird. Like, I shower every single day. It, what, how on earth could this thing have hidden itself? Um, but I honestly believe that actually it was those exercises the exercising of the pectoral muscles had kind of agitated the tumor and caused the tumor to suddenly be very inflamed and get very angry. And so um, my husband was abroad in Tokyo. Um, and so, you know, I didn't, I couldn't tell him that I was suspecting I had something strange. The following Monday was this holiday I mentioned. So I wasn't able to go to the doctor. So I had to wait until the Tuesday, you know, looking after my three daughters um, on my own that whole weekend um, and worried about, you know, what this thing might be. And also because, like I said, I had no history of breast cancer. I'd always thought, oh, well, you know, maybe one day in my 60s or something, I might get some cancer. And especially in Asia, you know, lots of people get colon cancer. So I've always been conscious about eating a lot of broccoli. But, you know, I, I kind of thought, oh, hey, you know, one day I might get that sort of thing. It never occurred to me that I would be the kind of person to have. I mean, this is me talking about kind of person. I mean, there isn't a kind of person. But, you know, in your mind, when you think there's a kind of person who I thought I'm not that kind of person anyway so I went to the GP and I remember her saying hmm highly suspicious so I said okay <laughs> what shall we do and she said right I'm booking you in to Mount E tomorrow for mammogram I said fine so that was the Tuesday Wednesday went for the mammogram um, by the Friday, uh, the mammogram had said, mm, yes, suspicious, need to move to the next stage. Went to see a breast surgeon the following week. Uh, by then, obviously, my husband was back. We were pretty nervous. We went to see the breast surgeon. We started to realize that it was getting a bit serious when I'd had an 11 a.m. appointment with the breast surgeon. And she said, um, you're going to have to have a biopsy today. You're going to have to come back at 4 p.m. and I'm going to do it then and there. I thought, ooh, that sounds quite urgent. This isn't good. So I went back, I had the biopsy. And this, it involves literally being shot, shot with a gun. Like this gun thing goes, and it takes out a lump of your flesh. So I had that three times in the tumor area. And of course, this was sent away uh, to the lab. Uh, in the meantime, I had a PET CT scan as well, like a full body all over thingy. Um, and then on the 8th of November, that, that, you know, that Friday was when I got the results. And the breast surgeon said to me, yes, I can confirm that you have the most aggressive form of breast cancer. It's called triple negative. This is 
uh, very rare cancer. Um, it's only 10 to 15% of breast cancer cases and has a particularly high prevalence amongst Asian and African-American women. So there may be some sort of genetic thing that triggers this, um, but I would really recommend, um, you know, Asian women in particular to be really on the lookout for any changes. And the thing about this form is, as I mentioned, it's super aggressive. So, you know, that had literally been growing just um, just we don't even know how long but the way that I found it I think actually I hadn't had it for very long maybe a month or even less so it was that aggressive just growing like crazy in me um, and by the time though I'd had all the biopsy and everything I could literally feel it burning the way that it was growing it was burning me it was so painful um, and so what I did was when I had those results um, uh, I phoned my very good friend. I'm very lucky. I have um, a friend uh, who I was at school with who is a, um, a consultant breast surgeon in the UK. So she's called Dr. Fiona Tsangwright. Uh, I called Fiona. I'm like, I've got this thing. What am I going to do? This is awful. And she said, yeah, but you know, don't panic. This is very treatable. This is the sort of thing that you'll deal with. Uh, and you'll look back in a year and actually you'll, it'll be all behind you. The thing was that in those days, I had only heard bad news stories. Um, there are, I, I went to an all-girls school and there were 24 of us in my class. By the age of 42, two of my friends were already dead from cancer. And so I was the third person in my class. And I was thinking, this is not good, right? Because my two friends were already dead. Uh, and I was thinking, this is not, I don't want to be that third person. I've got, you know, three young daughters. I cannot live. And literally the first thing that went through my mind was, I'm not going to go to their wedding. What am I going to do? I'm not going to make it to their wedding. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so then what they told me was, you have to get on with it and you have to have chemo straight away. So by the 14th of November, I started chemo. And uh, it was it was really frightening because you go. Uh, so I'm extremely lucky. I have um, private health insurance with Cigna. They have been amazing. They have covered every single thing. Um, and so, of course, I got the very best care. So I went to Parkway Cancer Center, which is at um, uh, what is it, Queen uh, Elizabeth Hospital um, Orchard. And uh, there uh, in the cancer center, uh, there are, you know, very nice little clinic with some lovely nurses looking after me. But anyway, when you get in there, um, they literally, you know, they put on their gloves and they handle these red, bright red bags of chemicals, which are literally poison right and they you see them handling these things gingerly and you're thinking you're handling that with gloves gingerly and yet you're just about to stick a massive needle <laughs> in my vein and pump it through my body like this doesn't make sense and it says poison all over it and that <laughs> red one it's called the red devil and I tell you it is so uh, I have feels like an inappropriate name though to well, well, 
well, no, that's the, it's not, of course, that's not the official name. No, no, that's, that's, a, that's a nickname uh, in, in, for cancer patients. That's where like, oh, there's the red devil. Um, but it, yeah, yeah, not, <laughs> they don't yeah. call it that um, on the, in the paperwork. It, yes, there are, there are um, some very complex names for all of this stuff. Uh, but I know that I had AC and Taxol. So um, that was my combination. And I had five months of that. Um, mm. So yeah, it was pretty intense. And every single side effect that you can imagine over that time, like crazy stuff. Uh, and I honestly actually can't even remember most of it now, but it was pretty horrific. Um, and I was very, very tired and not well for a long, long time. Um, yeah. But then I had surgery and because my chemo was so effective, um, I, uh, so it, it literally shrank away to nothing uh, with, with the chemo. Um, and so I was able to have a lumpectomy. Um, yeah. And so these days um, the surgeons are so skilled uh, and they can look for clear margins all the way around. Um, and so it's a, it's a quite a minimally invasive surgery, actually. I mean, it's, it's, you would never, I mean, I'm not intending to go topless anywhere, but I tell you, if I ever did, no one would know. So that's how good it is. Um, and then after that, I had radiotherapy for a whole month. Uh, so uh, every single day for four weeks, yeah. um, it was pretty intense. I had to go every day, I had to make it into my routine. But there was a fantastic team at Glen Eagles uh, under Dr. Tam. So he's a lovely, really, really lovely uh, radiologist. Um, and uh, his team, they were, they were great. But I tell you, you know, Singapore, I honestly am so grateful to have been in Singapore during this time because, you know, the facilities, the way that everything is just so well planned, you know, in the hospital, you just go different levels for everything all in the same building. You just take the lift and it's like, okay, you need CT scan there or you need your blood test here. Then you go to that there. And I needed to see a dermatologist. Oh yeah. He's on level 12. You know, it's like yeah. so well organized, so convenient. All the uh, professionals were just amazing. It was a great, let's say, in the scheme of things, yeah. a very good experience, you know, with a fantastic result. And so I finished in mid-June um, and I'm still here. So there you go. That's, <laughs> that's fantastic. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's the one thing I I would definitely agree with you that the healthcare here is is, you know, very comprehensive and very well thought out. So that's yeah. really a blessing. I, wa I want to... Uh, to to get your opinion on this because it seems like from finding out you know finding that lump to getting a review from the doctors to being diagnosed to to then being prescribed a uh, uh, a solution uh, for lack of a better word um, it seems like there was very little time to think and I wonder if that was helpful. Because then it allowed it, it, it made sure that you know your mind didn't wander to dark places. 
Yeah, I think um, because of the nature of my particular cancer, um, you know, all of the health professionals said time is of the essence with this one. You just need to get on with it ASAP. So I honestly, yes, I didn't have time to hang around thinking about it. Um, But I'm very lucky in that I am an extremely (laughs) action orientated person. So the moment I know that something needs to to be done, I get on with it. I do not hang around. So, you know, all of my appointments were just bam, 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 bam. The moment I knew I needed to see, you know, someone, that appointment was made and I was there. You know, I literally dropped everything. I went, I did it. And I, it was my priority. I understood the seriousness of this cancer. Um, and so, yeah, so literally from the 29th of October, when I found out to when I started chemo the 14th, um, it couldn't, it honestly couldn't have been faster. Um, and certainly, I think in the UK, if I'd have been there on the national health, you know, you're looking at maybe three to six months, which I managed in like three weeks. So I have managed the best outcome, because of the fact that, you know, I was, uh, I had private medical insurance uh, and I'm in a place where uh, you know that is um, the treatment is available uh, in that way and it was super efficient and I had people who emphasized how how I needed to be on it and just do it so I was very lucky to get great advice Um, I saw the literally queen of oncology here in Singapore she's called Dr Dent um, at the uh, National Cancer Center and she um advised me on my treatment, confirmed that my treatment was very much the cutting edge um, and that this was absolutely, you know, going to be the the most effective and and there would be a good outcome uh, if I had the treatment as soon as possible. So so that was just so reassuring, you know, and and that was fantastic. Um, And the care that I had from all the health professionals has been fantastic. But yes, I think um, when I met, um, so my breast surgeon is Dr. Ho. Um, and I said to Dr. Ho, so, you know, what, what happens when you see these ladies? And she said, the most heartbreaking thing is the number of people who bury their heads in the sand. They ignore their symptoms or they go into denial because they're so scared. And it occurred to me that actually um, one of the biggest reasons for that is that feeling that, well, you know, at the end of the day, it's going to be a bad outcome anyway, so I'd rather put it off. And that's kind of why I'm here to tell my story today, actually, because no, the outcome, if you catch it early and take action, is actually very good. And you can get over it if you do something about it. But if you leave it with my type of cancer, if you leave it, that is it. You will, you know, you will be dead very, very quickly because it can go, you know, it progresses from stage one to two to three to four extremely quickly. It's the, it's the worst one for, uh, you know, metastasizing and, and spreading to other organs. So I was really lucky. I was, I was just stage two. It had not spread to my lymph nodes because, as I say, it was super aggressive. It was just there overnight, literally, uh, and we were able to get on top of it very quickly. Um, but I think if I, you know, possibly hadn't had that fortune of having my personal trainer and the exercises, I probably wouldn't have discovered it for some time. Um, so, you know, you have to be really alert. And then for other ladies, they should go for uh, an annual mammogram. And um, the thing is that 
I think in Singapore, um, Singapore is very good about offering that on an annual basis, uh, naturally for women. And I'm not really sure what age it is, but it's possibly from 40 onwards, I think they offer it. Um, but um, triple negative uh, can affect women actually any any age and it actually starts in the sort of mid to late 20s um and and up to sort of age 50 but it is the cancer that affects the youngest uh women because generally there are other types they're called her or er positive and there's a few others i'm no expert um (laughs) but they tend to affect women that are older so generally the 55 to 65 year old uh, age group are the like the the most at risk for general cancer but unfortunately the triple triple negative tends to come in the younger age group um so yeah um it's it's really interesting that you brought up you know how people you know stick their head in the sand you know when they're going through difficult things when in actuality it's about acknowledging and recognizing the issue and I think that's true for any challenge in life so to speak Um, yet I can understand why it's a challenge because if I suppose it's a little bit to do with you know who we are as people growing up right whether it's nature or natural however you want to define it if your natural inclination is to hide your head in the sand then regardless of how severe the challenge or the obstacle or, or you know, be it cancer or anything else, you know, that's going to be the natural outcome. Do you have any thoughts on how one can rethink that state of mind, uh, knowing full well that this is their modus operandi uh, until that, you know, until something as severe as cancer for example yeah I would say that um you know building resilience and constantly training yourself to step outside your your um, comfort zone um will help you um and I've been lucky that I am someone like that who's who's always pushed myself uh I'm, I'm very focused on understanding uh you know my strengths and weaknesses um and focusing on my weaknesses and how I can improve myself so you know trying to do things um I guess in a in a weird way I'm a sort of a uh you know an adrenaline junkie in that way like i'm not in the bungee you know jumping kind of way but in the um in the way that for example i i'm really phobic of public speaking i really just don't like it but i sometimes try and find opportunities to do it because if i manage it i'm so overwhelmingly proud of myself when i manage because i know how awful i find it how difficult i find it um and so you know there's that feeling of tremendous achievement when you've done something so I deliberately seek out those opportunities uh, and um, but that meant that you know when I came across something like this which is obviously the ultimate challenge um, I was able to just say you know this is just something that you need to do Um, and for me uh, I would actually say that um, childbirth has been the thing that has prepared me most 
mentally for for what I experienced. Uh, so I've had three natural births with my three daughters, um, and each experience was completely unique um, and very very difficult. All three, but weirdly, each time I entered each birth with such an optimism, I really thought, well, you know, that first one didn't go so well, and that wasn't great, but this time it's going to work. I'm going to have like a water birth or, you know, a hypnobirth or, and, and no. And in fact, the third one was the worst. So it's just ridiculous how that kind of happens. But I definitely have the kind of mindset where no matter what, and even based on previous experience, I'm still optimistic. And that's how I was with each dose of my chemotherapy. You know, having to go back every single week, you know, I'd just be starting to feel well again. And then knowing I'd have to go in, but thinking, yeah, but you know what? I bet I'll be better this time. Even though it was last week was a horrendous nightmare, the <laughs> side effects this week, I bet they won't be as bad as last week because they were actually always different. So it felt like a bit of a lottery um, as to what I would suffer that particular week. So I was always really optimistic about how well I'd cope. <laughs> right. So, so yeah, I would say to people, really, please try and uh, push yourself in small ways. And it really doesn't have to be um, you know, like I said, you know, getting on stage and, and speaking to a crowd. Um, but it can be little things. I mean, even if you haven't been to the pool and swam for many years, go and have a swim. Or maybe you're an adult and you haven't cycled for a long time. Go and rent one of those bikes and have a go. You know, just little things that you feel a little bit uncomfortable try it and see and feel proud of yourself. You feel a really, you know, great sense of personal accomplishment. And I think it's important to acknowledge that for yourself. Right. Yeah, that's so important. And I, and I can sense from your answers and just the way you deliver them that you're very, you really are a very optimistic and positive person. I mean, has that something, is that something you've always been or, you know, something you developed through a variety of hardships. <laughs> I think, uh, to be honest, I'm blessed with a hereditary um, dose of positive uh, positivity in my DNA. So my grandfather, so my grandfather was um, a, a headmaster of a very large secondary school in Japan. And he was, the, I think, the eldest of 10 children. And so, you know, having that status as the eldest, he was always such a positive person. And uh, he just had... Uh, two children so um my uncle uh, and then my mother so she was the younger child um but he really brought her up to be such a positive spirit and she is so positive and uh i've i you know i grew up with my mother telling me always you know oh well that's not so bad and oh no no this is fine look at it on the bright side and so her positivity has definitely been what's rubbed up off of me most um and um you know my mum was a, a single mum from after from the age of uh, after I was 12 um uh, we moved to the UK by ourselves the two of us and so she you know is very much my strongest influence um and that positivity is one of those things where you know when you're young you have no idea about ooh positive and growth mindset and all of these buzz buzzwords right, that right. are like totally a thing right you know mindfulness and all of that, I totally grew up with all of that from her 
just naturally. We didn't know it was a thing. We didn't know about, you know, the health benefits of being positive or or any of those things. We were just kind of happy-go-lucky. And anything that came up in our way, we just said, well, okay, you know, no one died here. Let's just get on with it. <laughs> yeah. And and that's always just been my philosophy. Like, well, so long as no one's dead, like no one has died, it's okay. Um, and so I'm very good at like putting stuff into perspective and going, okay, yeah, yeah, that's not great for the moment, but let's think about ways that we can get through this. And hey, it's only temporary. Uh, and I have the most incredible ability to sort of switch off and forget things. Like yeah. I really honestly have the memory of a fish. <laughs> and it has served me well because <laughs> I just go, oh, okay, well, that didn't work out very well. I just blank it. Right. Yeah. It's a, it's a great philosophy, you know, like just uh, to really calibrate the severity of things, which in the modern world can be really hard to do because, you know, everything seems like the end of the world. You know, you don't meet a sales quota, you have a, a, a bad relationship, you know, and then we yeah. just compound it in our mind. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I suppose you're right. You know, just this calibration is really important. So I, I'm going to, consciously remember that <laughs> uh, you you also mentioned that you know during your cancer recovery you decided to get certified to become a coach you know I'm, I'm curious if, yeah. if if the cancer was the impetus or it just provided you that free time well free is the wrong word but that time to think that maybe this is where I want or what I want to pursue so actually what had happened was um, I had this very lovely friend of mine called Susan and uh, Susan herself is a coach. Uh, to be honest, I didn't really know what coaching was at that time. And this is back in September last year. Sorry to interrupt you. What's, what's her full name? Susan Barrett. Okay, right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yes. So Susan Barrett is a coach and she's a friend of mine. And so she uh, had said, I've been coaching for all these years. I have not got a certification. Uh, I'm thinking about doing one. And I said, oh, um, actually, I know this lady and she's been sending me emails about her course that she is now running. Uh, and it is um, gives you a qualification as an uh, Interna International Coaching Federation coach, ICF. And that's like the accredited body, you know, the, the coaching body. So uh, I said, hey, Susan, let me take you along to beat Jean. So um, we went for coffee. Uh, so this is Jean Balfour and Susan Barrett, uh, Bassett, sorry. Uh, and the three of us were there. And Jean was telling Susan about the course, you know, I was just there for coffee. Um, but I was listening, I was going, this is so quite interesting actually well you know tell me again about this course and oh it's virtual you know and she was saying yes you know it's at 6 p.m on a monday night and you just tune into your you know get on on your internet on your zoom and i didn't even know what zoom was to be honest but anyway i was like oh that sounds quite convenient because I, I was thinking yeah yeah i could fit it around my work and the more i heard about coaching i was thinking well I use that in my work all the time you know um so i'm head of business development um for a law firm here in Singapore, uh, and I coach my lawyers all the time. And I thought, well, this would be a great skill, you know, a great skill set and, and something to do. And I, I love to study and uh, I'm always up for a certificate. So I thought, yeah, yeah, I'll let me think about it. So I went away and thought about it. And I was supposed to start in October. 
uh, sorry, no, in November, it was the November cohort. But of course, I got my diagnosis. So I said to Jean, oh, I really, I, I actually honestly didn't know whether I would even need to have a certification because I didn't even think I had a future. So or this is what happens. You get a, a diagnosis like that and you honestly, the worst thing is you cannot plan your future. You don't know things like, shall I bother going to get a filling in my tooth? Because I mean, like, do I actually need my teeth? Uh, sh yeah? yeah. Shall I bother with a certificate? Because I don't even know if I'm going to be alive next year to actually teach people. I mean, so, <laughs> so, so these strange things come into your mind. So I said, look, hey, I can't do the November thing. I, I'm, I'm not joining. Uh, watch this space. See you later. I'll just go off and have my treatment. But anyway, during my treatment, so my mother came to Singapore and was looking after me. Um, and I was thinking, I was saying to her, oh, you know, I should do something. I, I, don't, I hate to waste my time. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and so we started talking about the coaching uh, and I thought you know what yeah this whole zoom thing I could you know from my bed on my iPad tune into this zoom classroom and do this course and then if I get well come back with a certification and and you know and this would be great so I literally did it to take my mind off the chemo just to kind of help me learn focus on something else meet other people I met these fantastic people on my in my cohort through zoom um, and then I did a hundred hours coaching all through zoom people all over the world it was amazing wow. and during my hundred hours I started to realize that, you know what, everything had been leading up to this moment. The whole thing made sense that I would, you know, pause in my life, that I would be given the opportunity to suddenly do this course, that I would suddenly realize that actually coaching is my calling, that it's the most natural thing for me and that I enjoy it so much. It energizes me so much and the way that I can impact people's lives. The thing was, I had been doing that like all my life and I hadn't actually realized it until I, I knew now because the feedback I get from people, and I've had that all the time, but I just hadn't really paid attention to it before you know they're always going oh you helped me with this and you helped me with that and I've always just thought yeah sure you know I'm a helpful person yeah 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 you know I'm always giving advice on this what I hadn't realized was that these things were unusual that there aren't that many people who go around who give like really valuable advice or who really listen and ask you questions that help you move on and that because I was always able to tap into something of my personal experience, and because I'm a very convincing person, I had actually got all of these people to take action and do something about it, which had led to a positive outcome in their lives, which they had never forgotten, which of course I had forgotten because like I told you, right, I have a memory like a fish. Yeah. So I don't remember any of these conversations <laughs> or what I had told them or anything. And then they come back years later and they go, yeah, I remember how you told me this. And then I went off and did that. I go, really? Wow. Wow. Okay, great. Thank, thank God I had that impact on you. <laughs> but anyway, that's kind of what happened. Uh, and so I'm, I passionately fell in love with coaching. 
um, I I got my certification um, and uh, I am just waiting for my now ICF accreditation, which is a whole other thing um, that takes 14 weeks to come through. So I'm hopefully getting that in the beginning of November. Um, but I've had like this life, tr- like changing journey where I honestly, because of the pandemic, began to realize how through Zoom, my new best friend, I can reach the world, how I can have impact through Zoom on all of these people and that this is actually my higher calling. So uh, I'm actually leaving my job. I have quit my job, I'm leaving my job and I am now starting my own coaching business and be because I I've always loved being an entrepreneur so it's it's it satisfies my two favorite things in the world one is being an entrepreneur and the second is helping people through my coaching uh yeah. and it's it's super exciting that's fantastic I I don't know if you noticed this but it, it's it's a bit of a life lesson almost because you spoke about how you know you weren't even sure that you would survive to to have to require that certification to to help others you know but then you you realize the value of that coaching and you know how it 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 incorporates into your life journey and it all I think what I got out of that was just that you know is to really focus on the things you can control and the things you want to you want your life to to the, the meaning you want your life to have and I think that's a very important point and I think that's what I got out of it as well I mean of what you said but I don't know if you recognized <laughs> that point that I just mentioned yeah totally I mean it's uh, I'm such a believer in um, being alert and sensitive to the things in your universe um, and the fact that there's a sort of a chain reaction that happens and that once you start to be uh, alert and you notice these things it really is like you are on a journey and that each step it's like these little stepping stones appearing you know out of the water and leading you into a different path but I'm a very big believer in um, being like the master of your own destiny so I'm not a fatalist I I don't like the idea that oh no matter what you were destined to do such and such no 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 you are presented with always a variety of choices and you yourself must make those choices but if you are listening to you know the signs that are out there and follow certain things you can go down a certain path and certainly for me there were just so many signs um you know things that happened to me along the way in terms of the timing of things you know the coaching coming you know I mean like I would never have gone to sit with Jean if Susan hadn't said hey I want to do this so I said okay you'll meet this lady this lady had said this is on zoom I I joined Zoom, you know, I I wouldn't have done it possibly, I don't know. I mean, I, I think I was still going to do it anyway, with or without the cancer, because I was already on that journey of discovery. But I do think that um, 
I probably, you know, just would have used the coaching in my current role if the the whole pandemic had not exploded. You know, the pandemic is a big part of this journey as well. You know, the timing, the feeling that everybody went on lockdown at a time when I was on lockdown myself. I had been on lockdown since November last year, um, you know, (laughs) because my immunity was zero. So I could not be in the community. I have been locked away and being in a virtual environment since November. So for me, it was like, wow, the whole world has joined me. How how decent of everybody, you know, they're not out there partying without me. So I didn't miss any of that. And I I enjoyed the fact that uh, I, you know, I feel like I'm doing something new again. And as as you heard from my story in, in the beginning, I'm not someone who is afraid of changing direction, of following my heart, of being able to see a new opportunity and to know when it's time for me to leap into something new. Yeah. So I want to help other people um, who, especially right now in the pandemic, may be thinking about a new path. Yeah, I love it. I mean, you spoke, you, you, we, we spoke previously and you, you mentioned how as coaches, you know, you're trained to ask more questions than to really provide advice. But you, you, at the same time, you also believe that, you know, if you're in search of a coach, you should hire one that also resembles who you'd like to be. So uh, I'm curious why, why you think that. I think it's one of those things where, um, so purist coaching uh, is really about uh, the listening and the powerful questions, like we said. However, um, particularly effective transformational coaching actually is kind of a hybrid insofar as it's uh, coaching and advisory to some extent. So you follow the coaching model as far as you can take it. So the the coaching believes that uh, every person is the expert in their own life and that subconsciously they actually do know most of the answers. But the reality is, and especially in a business context, some people really don't know all the answers and they hit a wall. So you ask them, okay, so what could you do? What else could you do? What else? What else? And you get as far as you can in terms of what they themselves have within them as to what they can do. But then they're going to reach a point where actually they've run out of ideas for themselves, which is kind of why they're seeing you in the first place, right? Yeah. And so at that point, you then go, well, Actually, I've got a couple of ideas myself. Would you like me to share it with you? So you ask permission from the client if they're interested in hearing. And the reality is, yes, they always are. So they'll go, yes. And that then lets you step out and take off your coaching hat into your advisory hat. And you go, well, you either provide an example. So say, well, you know, in that similar uh, situation, um, I tried this and, you know, I found this effective. What do you think of that? Or what about these things? But then you step back into the coaching as much as possible because it's far more powerful for somebody, um, if they can come up with the solutions for themselves. But at the same time, uh, I do recognize the need uh, for, you know, some inspiration, some advisory to some extent as well when they need it. Um, And so having that ability is good. But I think 
think, you know, if you're going to be someone that's going to help change someone's life, it just makes sense that you yourself have have some experience of that. Um, and of course, if you're in a certain world, um, you, you know, you, you are asking really relevant questions and you understand the context without them having to explain much. So for example, for me, you know, having been in law firms for more than 15 years, um, if I coach lawyers, they don't need to tell me, oh, it's what it's like this in a law firm. And, oh, you know, I, I want to uh, be a partner. And, you know, someone might have to say, oh, well, what does that involve? It's like, you don't need to tell me any of that. You don't need to tell me about the politics. I know all of that stuff. We can just you know park that on the side you can just assume I know it all and then the rest of it you're, I'm just interested in your personal story so then we it gives us that freedom to focus on them and their situation um, and you know as a coach you always are there just for that individual you don't care about all of the other stuff going on you just look at it from their perspective and then you try to help them reframe things. So you're very much bringing about, you know, their own self-awareness and really helping them to, you know, change their perspective on things. Um, and certainly my approach is always to go down the positive. You know, I really try to help people develop a positive mindset to really look at the situation and think of other angles on it, um, you know, and to always move forward. Um, because people do get stuck on things um, and it just really takes that objective person to be able to say, okay, well, you know, what are you, what are you thinking about that? Like, what does that mean to you? Why might that be? How else could you look at that? What would that other person say? What's it like to sit in their shoes? You know, all of those different things. Um, and that's, that's the joy of, you know, that relationship really. Yeah. Yeah, like that. You know, I've I've had so many of my friends ask, you know, what's the best way to choose a coach or if they actually need one, you know. And and it's for me, I always tell them, you know, I don't really know. I mean, I know, I I know, you know, maybe you have some hurdles, you know, some challenges in your life, and probably you need some clarity. But as to who can provide you that clarity. I, you know, I, I never feel comfortable saying, you know, providing an answer there. But what I do know is that, you know, all options should be on the table. So whether it's uh, coaching or having a mentor or just having a, a good support system of people going through the same challenges as you, you know, i.e., you know, the startup ecosystem or Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, I think that's the most important thing to not to not eliminate options because of preconceived uh, or, or to, of perceptions of what you think it might be. So yeah, uh, I, it's, it's good that you answered that. So I think my listeners can, can kind of maybe understand, you know, maybe it's worth, you know, exploring coaching if they, if they feel like it. Yeah, I mean, um, in terms of, you know, finding the right coach, it's really important to have the right chemistry. Um, and actually, um, you know, most coaches will uh, offer you, you know, a chemistry call where you really will, you know, experience their coaching uh, and to really see if you're a fit, because it's essential that uh, you as a coach really can engage and actually genuinely care about your client. Um, 
in order to really you know feel that connection uh, and do your best work with them um, and so that chemistry call is really really important to assess whether you can work well together um, because you know it's supposed to be a, a partnership um, and a two-way relationship so it's it's so important that you get on and that you like each other and uh, you know I certainly have basically become friends with everybody I've coached um, but um, you know it, it's it's really important to feel invested that you're there a hundred percent for their success you're doing everything within your power to kind of uh, help them get along you know that you're their their personal support system their cheerleader you really help them get over all the hurdles uh, and I just think that uh, you know in the states majority of people in the states have like a therapist right uh, a shrink um, but I'm such a strong believer now that I know what coaching is that every single person should have, you know, an executive coach for their career. Because if you, I mean, if you don't have a coach, you're basically wandering around the world and your life without a compass. You're just meandering along with no goals in, in mind, no actual destination. So, you know, let a coach be your satnav. Why don't you program where you want to go in life and find that right person, the right fit. The thing is, you know, uh, a lot of people think, oh, coaching, it's super expensive. Well, the reality is that like anything, there are coaches at every single level. Um, you know, personally, uh, my level is for the very, you know, professional executive uh, this is definitely not cheap and cheerful, you know, if you want to coach with me. However, um, there are so many uh, coaches in within the network and you can always reach out to any coach and they can always introduce you to someone else. And all coaches will also, um, you know, tell you if you're not the right fit and try and help you find someone who is uh, fit, you know, and uh, we're a very close network here in Singapore in particular, uh, and we can always find you someone uh, that will suit you. So it's really important to really think about the support you need at this time. Um, you know, mental health is a really big thing. Um, coaching is not therapy. Okay, so is the things that get rather too deep and, and have, you know, other issues. Uh, our ethics do make sure that we ask these people to go and get proper, you know, psychological help. Um, and we try to work with some uh, psychologists that we can refer to. Uh, but coaching really should be in the context of, you know, life goals, career goals, you know, getting to the next level and you know, business focus. Um, so in that context, but when you're happy in your business, you know, it all, it's also interconnected. Uh, you're generally, um, you know, happier in your life. You're probably going to have, you know, better relationships, generally be happier at home, etc. If you can sort your, you know, career, career out as well. It's all, uh, all connected. Love it. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, I'm mindful of your time, so I just want to end off with a question. Um, I, I, I ask this to, to many of my guests, but this one has a slight, slight tweak. Um, usually I ask them, um, what, is the lo what is the longest life? Yeah, what is the longest life? Le oh, what is the life lesson that has taken you the longest to learn? But I think, but I think to tweak that, towards your cancer journey, perhaps I'd like to ask you, what life lesson have you learned from your cancer journey? 
I think for me personally, it has to be like to slow down. Um, I've always been um, running around my life like a headless chicken, 110 miles an hour. So I do everything uh, just to the fullest. uh, uh, And um, actually, I must be kinder to my body and my health. Uh, I have always just pushed myself to the limit and then collapsed, collapsed in a heap, totally fatigued, you know. Um, and I think one of the, the biggest things about this cancer is the fact that uh, my immunity was very low. And because of that, you know, because I really live this full tilt lifestyle um, and that made me um, susceptible to the cancer, left me open to that. And then it did latch on, you know, when my defenses were down. So um, I have learned to practice deeper breathing, uh, to really try and um, I, I have really focused on trying to get exercise as much as possible, focusing on eating much more organic food, um, spending quality time, you know, with my family. Um, I think I'd always been a kind of, um, I'll sleep when I'm dead kind of person. But when you think you're going to be dead, like really shortly, that doesn't work. So (laughs) I I guess I kind of thought, oh, yeah, that's not a good philosophy. Let's not attempt uh, that let's try and be more measured more mindful um slow down i think the pandemic has really helped me because having been you know locked up in my house uh i have slowed down i've had a lot of time to reflect on myself on my life on the future of the world on the uncertainties Um, But I feel really fortunate. I think everybody um, should really tap into the things that they can be grateful for on a daily basis. You know, uh, any small bit of bad news you might have, just tune into your, you know, just flick on your uh, your mobile phone and go to the BBC News app and you'll soon find some catastrophic disaster uh, that will help to put things into perspective. Uh, you know, that terrible Beirut explosion or some massive tsunami somewhere or, you know, so we really do have to think about um, what are real, you know, stresses and uh, disasters in your life and actually you know what you've got to be grateful for and like I said I'm, I'm grateful for so much um, and I just uh, I just need to um, slow down a bit uh, and and yeah perhaps enjoy it a bit more not keep rushing to the next thing I'm always in a bit of a hurry <laughs> <laughs> yeah as with as is most of us so yeah I mean um, well thanks for that I think that was really insightful and something that we always need to hear and to be reminded of. Um, Before we end, I'd like to give you a chance to share, you know, if people are interested in what you do or maybe just, you know, getting on a chemistry call as you as you call it uh, how can they reach you or find you yeah um, well so at this moment in time the best way is through linkedin um so just uh, lara qui q u i e uh, on linkedin send me a connection request with a little message um i am working on my brand new website uh it's taking a lot of effort and a lot of time uh, but it will eventually be up 
at laraqassociates.com, just one word. So L-A-R-A for Lara Q, the letter Q, uh, associates.com. Um, but yeah, LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn. It's my uh, my fun passion. I, I'm on LinkedIn all the time. I'm trying to share you know, tips and tricks and, and insights and things on LinkedIn. I'll be doing a lot more writing uh, over the coming weeks. Um, so yeah, I'm always open to new connections and uh, would love to, you know, coach anybody who's feeling um, a bit uncertain during these times and who want to, particularly, you know, people who want to develop a positive mindset. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Lara, for, for having a conversation with me today. I really learned a lot and I appreciate you taking the time. Well, thanks so much, Nick. It's been a fantastic conversation. I've really enjoyed it. <laughs> Cheers. 